everyone, my name is Allison and I'm here with Charles and this is the fifth episode of the Faith Misunderstood podcast brought to you by the River Church in New York City. If you're listening live, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, we'd love to hear from you in the chat. So just go on and say hi, let us know where you're listening from. Um, so every week we've been tackling impossible questions about one topic related to faith. Today's topic is church. So if you have any questions about church that you'd like to ask, please send them in in the chat now and uh, we'll do our best to answer them. All right, Charles, let's dive right in. So the Christian church has caused a lot of harm throughout history. Should we give up on church? Hi, Allison. What a great question. It's good to see you. It's getting cold, so I hope uh, bundling up and staying warm. Uh, what a provocative question when it comes to the topic of church. A lot of people do feel like church has caused a lot of harm. And obviously, both Allison and I, being, uh, you know, church workers who really have devoted our lives to church, that I think the answer would be no. Don't give up on church. <laughs> We're into it. We think there is a lot of life and benefit and good that can come from church. Uh, and that's why uh, we have dedicated our life work into church. And so the obvious first answer would be no. You know, keep up with church. But at the same time, we want to acknowledge a lot of harm historically that church has done and continues to do at times because church is a human institution which made up of people that are influenced and products of the culture and the time that they belong to and so yes a lot of harm has been done uh, church has been a, a vocal proponent of slavery uh, for example, uh, Southern Baptist denomination was founded to defend slavery. Um, there has been a lot of harm throughout, like crusades or wars or different things that church has done, let alone uh, like the uh, abuse, Catholic abuse scandals that have been covered up for decades, if not centuries. <laughs> uh, just massive amount of damage and harm. Um, that has been done and, and even at local church levels a lot of hurt can happen in church settings uh, cults that uh, use pressure and shame and guilt to manipulate people into serving the leaders uh, agenda and uh, and just in general, wherever people form relationships, hurts can happen. At the same time, church is, has wonderful benefits. It's, uh, it's a place where people can come and connect around a common idea. And, uh, and in faith, if a church especially, if a church is uh, really focused on what we've been talking about in the podcast, Agape, this unconditional love, that should provide a space where the harm can be minimized and the benefits can be maximized. 
And in such settings, there can be tremendous good that can come from churches. So I would say, you know, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, there's so much good that can come from church that you can't just give up on it. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what some of that good is. So why should someone attend church? What are some of the benefits? So what are some of the benefits of attending church? Well, I was just reading an article lately, uh, recently about how America is lonelier than ever. And uh, I think it's uh, written by, it was written by a scientist. And there's scientific evidence and research that suggests that Quote, loneliness speeds up aging process faster than smoking. Wow. That is really bad for you. And, and how America has been getting more and more lonely. And so there are a lot of studies like a book called Bowling Alone, for example, analyzes how America uh, 50 years ago versus now, people are becoming more and more isolated and uh, how that's really causing a lot of problems, both mentally but physically as well. And so in church, you get to form connections. Uh, you can meet friends. Uh, you can have people who you may never have met otherwise become friends. I mean, that's been a great benefit in my life. Uh, in our church, it's very diverse. And there are a ton of people that I would never have become friends with, people of different race, people of different background, that you can actually get to know, and it expands your viewpoint, it expands your uh, understanding of life, of reality, of who you are, how life works. And as Jesus said, he said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. He seems to be indicating that faith can't be pursued alone, that it has to be done uh, in relationship to others, which makes sense if we see faith uh, in terms of agape, which is love your neighbor as yourself, that it's all about love. And it's really hard to do love on your own. <laughs> I mean, love involves other beings, right? And so I think church is an essential feature if you want to center your life and your values around love, unconditional love, agape, divine love. If that is something that sounds good to you, sounds like something you want to put as your central value, then church becomes indispensable. Well, given that, demographic trends show that, you know, over time, less and less Americans are attending church. Um, so what's going on there? Right. So it's true, Allison, that less, less people are attending church. But, and, and I think there are two dimensions to this. One is the overall trend of people just not going to relational, communal, settings, period. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, bowling alone, yeah. I mean the title is very evocative, right? There used to be a lot of communal clubs in America, like Rotary Club. I don't know if you know, even know what Rotary Club is anymore, <laughs> but it was huge 50 years ago. Uh, 
there are, you know, just uh, civic groups or bowling associations where people would go bowl together. But now people do stuff alone. People are on their smartphones. Even like when they're playing games, people are doing it in the comfort of their own home um, rather than uh, going into uh, relational communal settings. And that's been an overall trend period which church is also experiencing. But also I have to say that people are becoming less and less interested in Christian churches in America, partly due to the fact that uh, America is such a politicized place right now, very um, divided, and uh, Christian church has kind of gotten a brand these days of, of one political party, Republicans. And in a way, I think church is kind of digging its own grave and, and making itself kind of almost like a political force rather than a spiritual entity and taking all these positions um, as if it was a political thing. And that kind of turns a lot of people off. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's just a lot of things going on right now that's like moving people away from church, I think. That's, I think the trend will continue. I think it's been a, a negative thing that the church has been so identified with uh, former President Trump, for example, that the support for Mr. Trump was higher than any other person uh, in history uh, from the church, identifying the church with one political party, as I said. And given Mr. Trump's history and his behavior, it's just like, I think we have to be honest. I think people are honestly asking, where does church stand on things like family values, for example, or integrity, or like things that the church used to stand for 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, that the church used to at least be able to say, well, we stand for family, we stand for moral values, we stand for integrity, which actually is not really what Christianity ought to be about, that Christianity ought to be about love more than morality. But now even morality is gone, right? I mean, it's just, I think it's legitimate for people to wonder, where is the church that sold itself as moral majority when it is just so over-the-top supportive of a person who doesn't seem to ex exhibit any, I mean, just as opposite as you can get of family values or morality, just, you know, all kinds of issues, just complete uh, Herodian, as the Bible would call it. Uh, you know, and that has caused a lot of people to question and become skeptical of what does the church stand for? Yeah. What is it about? And I think that's going to bear fruit over time, not just now. Well, given that there's like such a wide variety of churches out there, what are some questions that you, a person should ask when they're checking out a new church? There are a lot of churches out there, right? 
And I would say uh, there are some broad categories that you can kind of put them into. And so a lot of churches are about if you come to our church, your life will get better in terms of like wealth mm. and success. This is called prosperity gospel. And it's a huge sec section of American church. That if you come and you listen to the right teaching and you do the right behavior, God's blessing will be on you and you will make a lot of money and your life will go well and so you should come to church. And when you actually turn on TV and look at these successful pastors who preach, a lot of them are on that track and some of them are just absolutely blatant, right? They are like, you know, call this number and <laughs> give us money. God will pay you 10 times, you know? And they're up there with like gold chains and gold, you know, they're flying private jets and, you know, and there are many, many preachers along that line. And I would say stay away from those churches because that's not really a Christian faith. God doesn't need your money. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. God who's trying to like get you to call a number to uh, get your money is not a God that's worth pursuing. <laughs> so just, just think about that for a moment. A God who needs your money is not a God that you want to pursue. And then there are sections of the church that's less blatant but still along that line, which is if you do these wise things that we teach you, then your life will go well. So use Bible's wisdom to become successful. And that's a little better, but again, that's pursuit of wealth. And that's again an idol of American dream and American success rather than what Christ really taught. Christ said that he doesn't have a place to lay down and that his disciples are going to have to follow him in that way. Now, it's not necessarily that you become a Christian, you become poor, but you can't assume that you become a Christian and you become rich. Right. Jesus was not rich. And so, let's put it that way. And then another section of the church is based on morality, right? This is the right thing to do. This is the right way to behave. And if you do the right thing, then you will be rewarded after you die with heaven. And all those wicked people who don't follow God's ways, they're going to be punished. And that's a huge section of the church as well. And there's a lot of fights about who's right and who's wrong. Because really nobody knows what happens after death, right? I mean, we don't have like tons of people coming back from death telling us what actually happens. And so people can argue about this. And there are all kinds of arguments about, like, you know, who is right. If you follow us, we are the right ones. After you die, you're going to be rewarded. And so those people who don't listen to our teaching are going to hell. They are not righteous. And they will support their position with passages from the Bible. But you have to ask yourself then, 
If it's so clear what is right and what is wrong, how come there's 12,000 denominations in the United States just in Protestant church? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of disagreements, yeah. even among the Christians. And so obviously there is some dis nobody is like really right. And so I would say stay away from those kinds of churches because they are more like enemies of Jesus called Pharisees who were really all about being right about how they interpret the Bible. And they were the worst enemies of Jesus. And so they look righteous, they look like they are righteous people of God, but the spirit behind that is the enemy of Christians, actually. So the kind of church you want to look for is a church that's really centered on love, loving everyone unconditionally. A church like that um, is going to feel free. There is not going to be any manipulations. Because love is not about manipulations. As soon as manipulations come in, love is gone, right? They can't coexist. Now, if the focus is about right behavior and coercing that right behavior, then pressure and manipulation can coexist. In fact, they are helpful to enforce right behavior. But if the faith is not about that, but it's about love, love requires freedom. It comes from the heart. Mm -hmm. Right? And so anything that comes from like this pressure, guilt, or shame, love does not thrive in that kind of environment. I mean, if someone tried to get you to love them, using guilt and shame and saying this is the right way to go, run, right? That's really unhealthy. So you're looking for a church that has the ethos of freedom, of open hand. You come because you like to come. You serve because you like to serve. Uh, the joy of serving is the reward, right? that kind of place rather than, oh, you know, here's a, here's a Bible memorizing contest. And if you win, then you get a star and you get like lifted up and like you are the, the, the righteous person. Oh, you serve so much. You are the employee of the month, right? Christian of the month. And, and like that kind of like culture, you want to kind of stay away from because church is about love. And love is about freedom and joy and open-heartedness and expectations of, of low expectations when it comes to like recognition and, and stuff like that, but high expectations when it comes to things like respect, right, and dignity and confidentiality and just this heart of protecting each other uh, from every harm. You know, you're looking for churches like that. Yeah, so, I mean, let's get it a little bit into the practicals, though. What are kind of some of the, like, red flags that a community is toxic or some of the green flags that this is, like, a healthy community? What are particular things to kind of keep your eye out for? Right, so what are some red flags? So, some red flags would be, like, leaders and pastors get treated like kings. You know, like, they are, like, up and you know they're holy and they're like celebrities 
and there is like hierarchy in the church. Um, that's a red flag. Uh, in Christ, everyone is equal in worth. Okay. And so, yeah, pastors lead, but because they're good at it and they're gifted at it, and the reward for pastors is the joy of serving people. They shouldn't demand or expect extra respect and like lifting up. You know, there were there was a big scandal in a, a big church in Manhattan called Hillsong. And it's a very big church, a very well-known denomination. And the pastor fell. And it's a lot of falling. I mean, pretty much every mega pastor, mega church pastor I know of that's really big have had some issues lately, it feels like. It's one of those. And it's because he... Uh, had extramarital affair, which usually is when these pastors fall. But what upset me, and reading about the story and what I know of the church, is that before this, there were a lot of red flags that were going on. For example, this pastor was treated like a celebrity. Like all the all the church church people had to like treat him like some kind of lord. He was like the staff was like, you know, driving him around and like doing everything that you would expect like people would do for a king, you know? And they even had like sections in the church where like top leaders would get to sit in the front or like important VIP sections. There was, and like, you know, volunteers or staff would later say they would like work like 18 hour days. Volunteers would be like, treated like peasants and you know, all kinds of stuff happening but none of that mattered that people didn't think that was any problem at all and it just went on and it's only when the pastor had this extra middle affair that's when it's like oh my god you know this guy is bad and it seems like church culture today is laser focused like jerry Falwell jr is like was the leader of the Liberty University, largest Christian university in the world, 150,000 people in the university, let alone millions of people who follow that, yeah. you know. And he's done tremendously toxic things for years and years and years. And he falls because he's had some weird sexual, you know, affairs with a pool boy, you know, the scandal that came out. That's really the only time that these leaders, quote-unquote, fall. And that's not right. That's what it upsets me. Because you really need to like look at so many other things that happened beforehand. This is just the tip of the iceberg. And it seems to be the only thing that people are caring about, like embezzlement or sexual abuse in church leaders. No, you really have to look at so much more. Really the red flag is, is this church centered on agape, unconditional love, or not? And when you really ask that question, then things really become very clear what's happening. If it's like a wealth-oriented church, then rich people, that condition of successful or rich 
That's what makes you approved by God and worthy. That kind of message comes through. That's Antichrist. You know, yeah. this hierarchy in the church that righteous people on top and like less righteous people are on the bottom, that's not unconditional. That's not parable of the prodigal son, is it? Parable of the prodigal son indicates that the righteous people are the ones that are not getting much from God, in fact. Yeah. And it's the unrighteous people who's getting a lot from God. And like, it's upside down. There's, it shouldn't be like that. You should really, people need to have sharper eyes. And the green flags are like, oh, this church is open-hearted love. Like some churches like, claim to be based on love, but they are very grabby. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. like they don't leave you alone. <laughs> they make you come. And like they get like phone calls and like you get like stopped. That's not love. Right? That's that's unhealthy psychological <laughs> stalking. And so you really need to think that through. It's just a loving place. Do you have any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, well, I was just going to say that those are kind of extreme examples, but those things can all take place in much more subtle forms, um, kind of going back to the manipulation that you were talking about earlier, pressure you were talking about earlier. There can be maybe not stalking, but this implied, you know, you're only worthy if you do X, Y, Z, if you attend X, Y, Z. Do you have any concrete examples of anything like that, like in your church experience? I think... Some of your college experience might have some of that, knowing you. Uh, yeah, I mean, there definitely was, in the church I was involved in, this dynamic of, you know, you are considered a more worthy Christian if you show up to things a lot. Right. Um, so if you show up to our events, if you show up to our retreats, if you show up to our Bible studies, then you are worthy. And so there definitely was this condition of attendance. And of course, you know, as a church leader, we would love for people to attend and for people to come to things, but there shouldn't be this kind of implied message that you're a more worthy person because you do that. Right. I think that's such a good point. I think we have to separate practical function from work. So people coming and people leaving, there's a practical function that they are meeting. And so of course that's great. And then there will be intrinsic reward that comes from the practical function. Like if you exercise, there is a health benefit. You don't exercise, you shouldn't exercise and feel like you are worthier because you exercised. Right? Like some people like use it as a motivation. You, you, you're nothing, you're trash because you didn't exercise, you know, you just beat yourself up, right? Oh, you gotta go exercise. If you don't exercise, you're just the worst. And then you get used, you can use motivations like that to go exercise. And the right behavior comes from that kind of coercive self-psychological conditioning. But we would call that eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That the side effects of that are dire. Like, you shouldn't beat up yourself to get the good result. You should use positive motivation like, I am loved by God. Yep. I am a precious person. I want to treat myself well. That's why I need to exercise, because I am doing a good thing for me. Now, if you use that kind of motivation, then that's really great. 
And so, like, if you come to church functions and you leave and stuff like that, there is a natural benefit that comes from leading and participating. You live longer, the yes. scientific research mm -hmm. says. Yeah. You, you feel like your life has a purpose. There's joy in serving. You, get, you feel full in your heart. You feel closer to God. Now, these are intrinsic benefits that come from it. And that's where it should end, rather than, oh, I'm holier than everybody else, yeah. and I am better than you because I've served God, you know? That will lead you away from the way of agape. At that point, as First Corinthians 13 would say, I can give my body over as a martyr. I can move mountains with my faith, but because I have no agape, it will amount to nothing. Right. And so you have to be very careful about stuff like that. Yeah, so I thought it would be good for us to kind of end by talking about, you know, what are the signs of a healthy church? Because we talked about how it should be centered around agape, but I don't know that in every church you can just walk in and kind of ask, like, hey, is your church centered around agape? Yes. Like, that question <laughs> might not get you the answer you want. So what right. are some things to look out for, some questions to ask? Yes. Um, so, right now, I think a great question to ask is, is this church, how does this church treat the LGBTQ community? That's like a flashpoint in today's culture. Uh, in, the, in 30 years ago, previous generation, the question might have been, how, this, how does this church treat divorced people? Or interracial marriage? Right. You know, like, a generation before that. Every generation is a flashpoint yeah. question like that. And a lot of churches, you know, especially 30 years ago, would have been very horrible to divorced people. I was watching The Crown. Me too. And, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. and there is one scene where Princess Margaret blows up at Queen Elizabeth because she's letting her daughter, Princess Anne, get divorced and marry again. Mm -hmm. Whereas she prohibited her sister, Princess Margaret, from divorcing and marrying. Because the Queen or King of England is also the head of the Church of England. And so they have to uphold the laws of God. So Princess Margaret blows up because what happened 30 years ago? I couldn't do it, and it ruined my life. That was a scene. It yeah. just absolutely ruined my life. Yeah. And now you're letting your daughter do it. And Queen Elizabeth says, it's, it, that's different. And she says, what's different? Yeah. There is no difference, actually. <laughs> Except that times have changed. Right. And people just accept divorced people better. And so you have to, like really ask, where does this church's high and mighty moral judgments come from in treating certain people so horribly, calling them sinners and adulterers? And can you imagine if a church, you know, if there's like a divorce and remarried people come with like two little kids, they will like preach at you and say, you are in adultery, you kids are products of adultery, you're bastards. Can you imagine the emotional harm that little kids would go under if they were brought to a church setting where moral authority would tell them you are bastards, you are born in sin, 
which they used to do for hundreds of years, right? Yeah. It's terrible, terrible harm. And now they do it to LGBTQ community. And because, why? I think, I think one reason is because 50% of the population is divorced. And so if the church really kept on doing that, they'll have a major problem, right? Yeah. Whereas maybe 5% for LGBTQ community, so it's much easier group of people to pick on. But, you know, that's a great question to ask. How does this church treat that? Because every church does that. And you can kind of tell whether they are following Christ or they are just standing on the Bible like the Pharisees did in a very hypocritical way, you know. You can kind of tell with these flashpoint questions. And more, many churches nowadays say they welcome LGBTQ community, that they are... They can come, you know, we welcome them, we are not those horrible, mean churches. But my experience is that absolute majority of them treat them like second-class citizens. Yeah, they practice. In practice. Yeah. Like they say, well, come welcome, be part of our church, but when you become a member, they will find out that you can't lead in that church. You, they will never marry you in that church. You can't have a wedding. That their pastor will not do a gay wedding, you know, because then they'll get kicked out of the denomination, right? Yeah. And so they, yeah, like most of these churches in Manhattan, they will say, we welcome LGBTQ community, but they really don't. And which is, I think, even worse, because then it's like bait and switch, right? You come to the church, and then you form relationships, and they become like, friends, like family friends, you know? And then you find out they really don't accept you. They, in the back of their minds, they're really like, think you are a sinner, as you are. And you can't really participate. Like, you can come into the living room, but you can't go to the kitchen. That's the kind of the place you're in. Now you're stuck. Then that causes enormous emotional damage, right? It's hypocritical, it's lying, it's deceptive, but so many churches do that. So there is now a, a website called churchclarity.org, mm -hmm. and they tell you what churches do. Yeah. And there is just, it's jaw-dropping when you look at that, when you look at the list of the churches that's there. So I would really advise looking at Websites like churchclarity.org, asking questions like, no, what is really your position? Can you, will you marry? And what are your policies? What are your policies? Will you, will you do a LGBTQ marriage at this church? Will I be able to attend such a marriage? Will you ordain them as pastors if you're LGBTQ? In our church, we do. Um, and such a question can really tell you whether they are agape-centered, or they are morality-centered, which traces it back to knowledge of good and evil and causes all kinds of issues. And so I would ask questions like that, you know? And, and also ethos, like, do they, you know, are they manipulative? Do they use pressure? I think so many churches use pressure like guilt and shame and fear to elicit right and correct behavior and belief from people. Yeah. You cannot ever get love from that kind of methods. 
you can get the right behavior, but never love. If God is love, as the Bible so insists on, again and again and again, God is love. If that's the case, then you've got to stay away from those churches where if you whiff, if, if you whiff a pressure, then you've got to call that out. Is that where dysfunctional families are from? I think you have social work background. I do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have seen families yeah. where pressure and fear and guilt and shame gets used to elicit performance from families? I mean, what's your experience with such families? I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's, no one's happy. Not the parents or the kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I come from an East Asian background where, oh my gosh, it is, that is the way of life. Like, you gotta study. You gotta get into the best school. There's a joke. In, 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 in East Asian families, you know, like you get an A, that's your average. You got a B, B is below average, C is can't have dinner, D is don't come home, F is find another family. Right? That's a joke, right? Yeah. But, I mean, find another family? I mean, you can laugh, ah, 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 ah. But, you know, there's usually like truth to yeah. all these jokes. I mean, basically, if you bring shame on the family, you're not a part of this, you know, that kind of culture brings only misery. No one's happy. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. Everyone I know, no one's happy in that culture. And churches tend to run on that so much. And it's like, that's, that's not good. Don't, don't go there. It's not about behavior. It's about love. Now, if it's about love, then different sets of ethos and ethics emerge. And so you really have to plant your flag on that. Yeah, another thing I've found helpful is just kind of taking a look around the room, seeing who's here, who isn't here, who is up on the platform, who isn't up on the platform, looking in the program, seeing who who is aboard, on the board or the, an elder and who isn't, kind of just seeing, like, is this a church for everyone or is this a church for particular people? I know that's helping. I think that's a wonderful way of looking at it. You know, is it just all white men, you know, or, you know, just one type? And that can be an issue, right? Although maybe some churches have no choice because they are in a community where it's only one type of person. But in a place like New York, you know, some diversity represented all across the spectrum would be a healthy sign. And in our church, we really strive for that. Great. Well, is there anything else you want to add about what separates a healthy church from a toxic one? Yeah, I, I can't think of much in that question, but I, I do have to say, you know, I think church has caused a lot of hurts. Yeah. So people are weary of church, people have become less enthusiastic about church, but church done the right way, there's nothing like it. It's kind of like family, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Family, there's so much hurt in family. Uh, especially when pressure and guilt is involved. But family is also a source of tremendous life, right? right? I mean, you can't do without it. And so I would say, you know, don't give up on church. 
make it healthy. You know, be the person who leads the church into another reformation. You know, lead the church away from these pressure-filled, behavior-focused communities to really a community focused on love that brings help emotionally, spiritually, and also in every way possible. So if we can do that, it can be a tremendous source of support and life. I love that. Um, so let's stop there. And I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. Um, this episode will wrap up our first season of the Faith Misunderstood podcast. It's been wonderful having you. Um, but we're going to pick it up back again uh, in the new year in 2023. So if you have questions that you'd like us to address, um, anything that you want to be topics um, of a particular episode, please send them to us. Uh, you can email us at podcast at rivernyc.org um, and we'll take a look at those and you know base our next podcast off of uh, your questions. Um, so thank you so much. We'd love it if you would like this video, comment, uh, give us your feedback, um, and please subscribe to our channel so that you'll be notified um, when we start again in the new year. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.